We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala, and we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And yeah, I'm in uh, a basement in Milwaukee right now. So uh, continuing our exploration of Al-Fatiha, we are now on day one, day five, day five already? yo, we've all stuck around this long. Okay, so... The, one of our central points yesterday <clears throat> was that in trying to make sense of suffering, we had two huge points. One point was that, uh, that Allah is free to do as he wills, okay. meaning I don't even deserve existence. And so based on that, Allah is literally free to do as he will with me. So that's speaking from the perspective of what Allah can or is obligated to do. But then in response, the point I was suggesting is that our goal is to be honest with ourselves about our emotions when we are going through struggle. That you have to acknowledge to yourself that you're being angry, that you're frustrated, that you feel abandoned and such. And then if you can return to Allah with those feelings, those prayers are often much more sincere than our textbook standard prayers. You should still do the textbook standard prayers. You know, please, you know, take care of my family and please take care of me and all of those things. Those you should still be doing on a regular basis, even if you feel like you're not paying attention to yourself. But the, the prayers that are more sincere are the ones that are coming from within the depths of, of your heart, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Uh, can you explain returning to Allah with those feelings a little more? Yeah. I mean, so <clears throat> let's say you're going through a really heavy struggle, you know, uh, uh, and and let's say, you know, uh, you have a close family member who is super sick okay? and you feel like there's you have no idea what to do. Say that to Allah. Say exactly what you're feeling to Allah. Ya Allah, I don't know what to do in this situation. Meaning, speak frankly with your creator. Does that make sense? Yeah, but can you translate that into when we feel anger towards Allah? Like, that Same was thing. a central point yesterday, right? Yeah. So, so the, the idea is the same. You know, Ya Allah, why is this happening to me? And what you will discover is that as you get into the practice of being honest in your conversations with Allah, it is actually going to diffuse a lot of your anger. But the point is you have to identify it first that this is what you feel. Right? Now, if you feel anger and then turn away from Allah, okay, then that's a problem. The point is you're sharing with Allah this feeling, Ya Allah, I feel so angry, I can't help it, you know it. And, and speak to Allah that way. Does that make sense? Okay. Now to make this point further, if we speak about the journey uh, that we would be going on <clears throat> over a period of time. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go for it. I have a reflection uh, on, on uh, this anger uh, with Allah. And I was thinking that um, 
that if we accept, like in general, even if we're not talking about Allah, I think in general, we feel angry about things that we cannot control mm-hmm. or change. Yes. And the acceptance itself of a certain situation um, removes anger slowly or immediately or however. So if we really, really concentrate on focusing on accepting that Allah is going to, because Allah has promised in Surah Baqarah somewhere, I can't remember the ayah, but he has promised that there will be suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like he has promised that um, he's going to drop our sins as a result of suffering, but there will be suffering for sure. And like you said that he can do as he wills. And so if we really accept in our hearts that power that he has over mm-hmm. us then i guess the anger part anger with allah will probably be taken care of yes we mm-hmm. can't be angry at the situation but feeling anger with allah will subside once we really really accept that mm-hmm. this so is, I think is focus on the acceptance part yeah this is uh, essentially literally uh, the path that i was about to draw oh okay yeah so so you're Sorry. you're no, no, I mean, you're literally right on, right on schedule. So as you're going through time, can you all see the whiteboard? Yeah. Okay, so as you're going through time, uh, what is Allah? Allah oops. Omar, one question. Yeah, uh, uh, extending uh, Satya's point. So you are saying, in effect, that at some point in time, not being uh, content with Allah, meaning uh, not being razi with Allah, is okay as a starting point yes and and you're, you're zeroing in so what is the actual point that, that i was uh focusing on yesterday is that if i want to grow in my relationship with allah first i have to be honest about where i am and and that means if i am not happy with allah i have to be honest with myself that that's where i am and but so if that's the starting point, that's a very dangerous starting point because if I'm not happy with somebody, why would I want to be with him? My uh, overwhelming inclination would be to uh, put uh, put distance between me and somebody who I'm not happy yeah, sure. with. But I would suggest that if we were to do, you know, in whatever capacity, somehow an analysis of the hearts of the Muslims across the world or the Muslims in the United States only, uh, we'd find that the vast majority are actually not happy with Allah but they won't admit it even to themselves. What do you think? It's yeah, a, but they would call it submission. Uh, the submission would still be there, but growth yes. is not going to happen. And then yeah, to take it as... Yeah, go ahead. But uh, it would be along, uh, along the lines of Tawan or Tawan wa Karhan. Okay, translate uh, that for everybody. I mean, it basically means whether you, uh, whether you like it or not, willy-nilly, you, yeah. you'll be submitting. So what will happen is that the children of that person will see through the, 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 the false iman of that person and will not continue their Islam. And if it's not the children, it'll be the grandchildren that'll leave Islam. See the point that I'm making? That if I was to exist in a vacuum, then, <clears throat> then there's me you know, and all the feelings that I'm hiding inside. But in the same way we can see through what our parents say versus what they really believe, our kids can see through us in terms of what we say versus what we really believe. 
and I can put on the most pious face and personality, and my kids will see through whether I actually believe it or not. And that's and, very yeah, but, but what about those those scholars who contribute into that? That you know, submission is the only only place you have to be. So, okay, regardless but, of your uh, so I regardless. Mean, of your state of understanding, you know, just submit and just just be quiet and accept it. Okay, I mean, there are those who who do say that, but what I'm speaking is more of you know, with whom you have a personal relationship as a scholar or as a teacher who's then guiding you towards your growth, right? Meaning, if we're speaking of someone who's giving a general uh, 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 talk, they're going to give a very general answer. I'll give you a very simple point, which is something that happened again last night just before class. Okay, it's a very very simple question. If a husband and wife are having a fight, and in his anger, the husband says to her, talak, 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 are they divorced completely? What do you think? Suddenly everybody's silent. Yes. This, was, no. this, was, this was literally the call that I had, literally about 30 seconds before we began class yesterday. Uh, uh, so Hazel's saying, Fipwise, yes. Awesome. what are you saying? Uh, no. They're not. Uh, there's a um, isn't it, isn't it a thing about how if he can't control his anger, then it's not a valid okay. force. Okay, uh, correct. In anger, yeah. it doesn't count, basically. Okay, uh, and there's a person named iPhone who says no. Okay, yeah. so who are you? iPhone, who are you? It's an iPhone. Okay. <laughs> iPhone speaking, mashallah. Okay. So if someone comes to me and asks, like their whole question is, if a person does the lock three times, uh, does it count? If that's the whole question, the answer is yes. Yeah. If, however, they say, all right, you know, it was a five-minute fit of anger and I didn't mean it. Now the question has changed. And does it count then? And then, uh, depending upon how further I get into the conversation, uh, I might still say yes, or I'll say, you know, all right, this, it doesn't count, but if you say it again, uh, assume that it counts, no matter how angry you are or are not. Yeah. See the point that I'm making? Uh, we can't even say from a thick perspective, yes or no. I'm saying essentially <laughs> that if someone is giving you a general answer for how you should practice your deen, then their answer is going to be, you should submit. And however, if we're speaking about a person's growth, like in the context of this, meaning almost all of you are my repeat students, right? So, so what you're hearing from me is not really all that radical uh, in, in terms of the things that I say. And so what I'm saying in this context is you have to be honest with yourself about where you are. Otherwise you will have no growth. You can take a thousand classes and if you don't aren't honest with where you are, you have no, you will not grow after a thousand classes. What do you think? And that's one damage. That's one issue. The other issue I'm saying is your kids aren't going to buy into into anything you're teaching, and if not your kids, your grandkids. Uh, Aman. Yeah, just kind of like adding on a little bit. I feel like you kind of if the relationship between you and Allah really is a personal relationship, then you kind of have to be honest. Um, because think about it. What kind of personal relationship is there where you cannot be yourself? How mm -hmm. can you call it a personal relationship if you cannot be your true self? Mm -hmm. And and so you've reminded me of that narration that to if you know if you know yourself, 
then you can know Allah. If you don't know yourself, you cannot know Allah. Uh, Asim, you raise your hand. You're on mute. You are on mute. I think I think the idea that submitting and not holding negative emotions towards like towards Allah are like they're not mutually exclusive and we mm-hmm. often treat them like they are mm-hmm. right and so you like i think that's the idea is that if you're angry but you you still you know continue come to god with your with your prayers and all that kind of stuff you're still submitting but you don't have to be mm-hmm. you don't have to necessarily hold positive um feelings in that moment mm-hmm. right i mean this is this is a, this is an important point i'm not saying it's okay to be angry and therefore skip your prayers. Nobody's saying that. You still have to fulfill your obligations. But the key point I'm making is that you have to be honest with yourself about what your feelings are, what your sentiments are. And if you're not, you're not going to grow. You can hide it hide your, from yourself through the course of your whole life. But your kids will see through it and then your grandkids especially will inherit the, the Islam your heart is giving to them. Okay, so, so let's continue more with this drawing. So, so we, we are trying to comprehend that Allah is free to do anything. And what else that includes is that he's free to give to the next person and give nothing to me. Complete freedom. If I can embrace that, then that's going to erase jealousy. But until I can embrace that, I'm going to have all those feelings like jealousy. And jealousy is a feeling that it's very, very common that if you see someone else is getting something of dunya or even potentially seeming of akhirah and you're getting jealous of them, I mean, it's very hard for a person to be honest with themselves about, about the feeling of, of uh, jealousy. Um, and so, so here you're seeking to identify Well, not your, but my, my sentiments. <clears throat> what am I truly feeling versus what do I, what should I feel? What should I feel? I should be grateful for everything Allah has poured upon me. Yeah. And if any of you are at that level, you should actually be the teachers of the class, you know, where you're truly grateful. Oh, look, Allah has just, you know, uh, put me through this horrendous struggle and put my children through this horrendous struggle, alhamdulillah, because all my sins have been wiped away. That is a level you can reach, uh, but it is very easy to say, very hard to be. Okay, so free to do anything. And then when you want to get deeper, as we're saying, you will not hit me with something I cannot handle. I cannot handle. So now what we've done is we've taken a step up in terms of how we understand Allah and his relationship with me. Are you sharing your screen? Can you not see it? No. Can I can see it? see it. I can see it. Yeah, we can see it. I see I it. See it. That's strange. How can some people see it, not others? Okay. 
Oh, Becca, you might have to hit your uh, Zoom. I figured it out. I'm on my phone. It's just different. Oh. But I figured okay. it out. Okay, Michelle. So the second point. So first, we have to accept that Allah is free to do whatever He wills with me. Complete freedom whatsoever. But then He's made a promise. He's not going to give me anything that He can't handle. That I can't do. Now, anything I can't handle doesn't mean I can't physically handle. Obviously, I may be hit with it with an illness that is going to lead to my death. What we're saying here is he's not going to give me anything that will require me to break my relationship with him. That will compel me to give up my hope in him. So what would be a step of growth in terms of seeking to identify my sentiments? It's accepting my powerlessness. And so what I'm saying, if you can reach the point of accepting your powerlessness, you're going to find yourself feeling a level of freedom that you have not felt before. That this is legitimately beyond my control. Uh, But it's a scary feeling to have until you've embraced it, until you've literally embraced the fact that, okay, I have no power here. Mahmoud. Uh, Mahmoud, you raise your hand. Uh, yes. Uh, so to your point here, so there's, there's this two words in Arabic. I'm not sure what they mean in English, but I'll try my best to explain. Like, the difference between tawakkul on Allah and tawakkul is just very, uh, it can be very confusing. So if I accept my power, uh, powerlessness, uh, how I can be making sure that I'm with the way I can on mm-hmm, I do my best and I leave the rest of my Okay, so this we'll be getting to in just a second, inshallah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but everyone understands this path so far, right? On the one hand, in terms of my perception of Allah, we've started, He can do anything, but then we've advanced to saying, He's not going to give me anything that I can't handle. Then we are getting to the idea of Rahma. that he is still taking care of me. But what then this means is I have to look at my responsibility. Which means that there is, uh, uh, I'm looking at the power I do have. And so, so Mahmoud, this would be essentially the, the, the question you've asked right here. Does it make sense? Okay. And so, so what is the point here? That for the last four classes, I've been saying that, okay, the primary relationship Allah has with you is Rahmah. And that is easy to accept as a concept. Uh, It is easy to accept when you're going through struggle or when you're going through ease. But it's easy to forget when you're going through struggle and you need to grow into it. And so in terms of dealing with struggle, this is step three. And then the level you want to get to 
is resolved. Where you are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with you. And so I'm suggesting it is hard to get to Rida. What is Rida? It's to be pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with you. It is hard to get to that unless you've gone through these steps prior to that. Malahat, you were asking a question. So, I mean, you know, we, we should know on the by the time we get to the level three that what we are getting, the, all the tests we are getting or all the, the sorrow and the pain we are having is part of the Rahma. Meaning that's the level you want to get to. Right. But again, I'm saying a way for me to test myself is simply, okay, how, how uh, upset do I get when I'm going through struggle? Yeah. Because as I go through each of these levels, you know, imagine the person at this first level where Allah is free to do anything, but, you know, I'm seeking to identify my sentiments. They're going to have a wide range of emotions. The person at the last level is going to have a very much smaller range because they've reached a point of contentment with Allah. But the point is it takes effort to get there. Uh, Ahant. Assalamualaikum. Um, so in the three like levels that you said, like under the me uh, column, where like in your like opinion do like, you know, people in your experience, like, you know, like trip up in, in terms of having the wrong like perception of Allah or, or we're having the, uh, the wrong sort of like idea of why they're feeling the way they're feeling. So in terms of perception of Allah, uh, intellectually, I think we all understand Allah is free to do anything. Uh, most people do not want to accept it out of fear that it means that they get less. Because what is also part of this, Allah has unlimited bounty. So if Allah gives something to you, ahant, it doesn't mean that there's less for me. Meaning if he gives some bounties to you, it doesn't mean that there's less for me. Right. And so that's, that's a difficult thing for people, uh, 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 both in terms of, of, of ease as well as difficulty. So, and then truly understanding, if I truly understand that in my heart, that whatever Allah has just hit me with, I can get through, I'm going to have a whole lot more confidence that I'm going to get through it. Make sense? And this is often... Uh, what people say they believe, but most most people don't. So, so does that stem from sort of an ego thing, where you know uh, someone else got something, or or you see yourself like getting less? Then your mm -hmm. whole life like sort of revolves around like you know what am I getting? Yeah, totally. So, for example, let's say hypothetically, we have someone who converts to Islam, right, and they're seeing all their peers are getting married and they're thinking, okay, well, no one's going to marry me because of X, Y, Z reasons. What are they effectively saying? They're saying that, okay, uh, those top three things aren't really going to be uh, addressed, right? That, okay, all the other people are going to be getting married, but, but not me. That is literally unintentionally an expression of distrust in Allah, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, what? 
So there is a hadith about the woman um, in the grave who was crying and the Prophet tells her to be mindful of Allah and be patient. Yeah, she yells at him. Yeah. yeah. And then he tells her that patience that is at the first strike. So where does this fit in in this okay. conversation? So in terms of, of looking at the bottom line, where would you think Saba starts appearing? I would suggest it's right here. That uh, when you've accepted that you have powerlessness, then sabr becomes very easy. Let me uh, go back to Ulfat. Uh, what do you think? Feel free to push back. So it's not at the first. So it should be. It should be here. But I'm suggesting, for a lot of people, it's not. Right. So. It should be accomplished the moment I appreciate that Allah is free to do anything. Uh, but for most people, they're not there yet. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so, Malaha, Dr. Kazi, and then Aman. Yeah. So, um, another point, I'm just comment that, you know, the the containment and the point of Rida is not sustainable. We are actually going back and forth from the circle. From the personal experience, I can tell you that is that, you know, like we, we, are, we cannot just contain ourselves or stay there right on the top of the Rida. There are some points come, then you're back to the square one, and then we have to start it again. But that so, reality and then, you know, awareness, what can be done and what is the next step, can help you to get to the the Rida point swiftly rather than the first place. So I would uh, suggest uh, this way. Let me know if this is uh, sort of what you're saying. That once you've passed a test and you've reached either to the end of the struggle because of sabr, or you've especially reached a point of Rida, now you're going to be hit with a harder test. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so and the test could be harder, but the the time lapse between the step one to phase one to phase two to phase three can be shorter. Potentially, meaning uh, uh, it could be. So to, just, to, just to put everyone else on the same page, what we're saying is that as you get closer to a law, as you develop more and more contentment with the law, your tests are going to get difficult, more difficult. So it could be, that two years ago, your the the ink on your pen breaks, and then it spills all over your paper, and then you feel like it's in, the end of the world. And then a year ago, you get a flat tire, and it feels like the end of the world, but the pen thing doesn't bother you anymore. And it could be that six months ago, you went through such a horrendous test, let's say someone close to you has died. So now you don't even care about the flat tire, that doesn't bother you, the pen doesn't bother you. Now you're gonna have an even harder test as part of the process of growth. Now, what is actually taking place? Everything out other than Iman is being squeezed out of your heart over the course of your life. If your goal is to get closer to Allah, if your goal is to get closer to Allah, then you're gonna be taking steps towards growth and steadily, you're gonna have more and more difficult tests squeezing all of the non-Iman out of your heart.
Uh, Dr. Ozzie, you're making fun earlier. Uh, you know, by doing this standard, you can actually convert fiqh into an inverse relationship. The more you rely on fiqh and fatawa, the more it could serve as an indicator of your weakening relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, for example, uh, uh, let's say, uh, you know, the, inter the question of, let's say, interest, okay? Uh, if you see the, uh, if you read the Quranic ayah literally, I mean, uh, you just translate riba into interest and haram, you stay away. If you speak to muftis and so forth, you'll you'll find a plethora of uh, fatwas that will sort of justify or uh, uh, interest. I'm not saying riba. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, in the same way, you know, dealing with alcohol, I've heard uh, uh, some uh, muftis saying that in a in a land uh, where of the non-Muslims, it's okay to deal in alcohol with uh, because you're going by the uh, mm -hmm. shara or the or what you say the ulf of the non-Muslims. Mm -hmm. so all, all these things uh, uh, come into play. I mean, uh, the, where the fiqh would actually be coming into head-on collision with uh, with the the schema that you have outlined. Mm -hmm. This is uh, very true. And you will often hear people speak about choosing taqwa rather than fatwa. And so fatwa, seeking a prescription, a ruhsa, meaning sort of like a, a way for me to, to live a particular way, uh, will usually not result in growth. It'll more often at best give me some stability in life, but it's not going to give me growth. When you're seeking taqwa, what is taqwa? Taqwa is shielding yourself. And that is an active process. So taqwa is essentially literally lived Islam, you know, which is essentially what we've been talking about here. And then fatwa is essentially rules Islam. And when you focus on the rules, you will not grow. Meaning, or I should say, if you focus on the rules exclusively, you will not grow. Make sense? So yeah, uh, I'm agreeing with your point. Okay. Uh, I, think, uh, I think we are, I think we are getting too hard on the, on the fatwa. Uh, Sometimes the fatwa can give you, uh, get you out from those situations. You have no idea how to get out. Yeah, that's what fatwa is supposed to do. But if if, uh, but for many people, the whole of their Islam is: Am I allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Aman, you're raising hand. Yeah, so just kind of like going back to a point you made earlier about how we have to accept we're powerless, but then in the next box, you write power I have. Yeah. And that's kind of a paradox. So is it fair to say that the ability to fulfill our responsibility is the power that we possess? Yes. Uh, so think of the power you have is the power to take ownership for your condition. Okay. And, and so those who've taken my adulting class, that's literally the first lesson that being adult means you're taking, you're taking ownership for your, your condition. And so what we're really saying in terms of powerlessness is that your emotions of being upset are an expression of being powerless, of feeling powerless. That the only thing that I have is to be angry. Once I'm comfortable with that powerlessness, 
it's going to remove the need for, for me to be angry. Because I've made peace with my powerlessness in a particular situation. And then that then will free me to focus on what do I actually need to do? So let's say you're driving along, you're running late for uh, um, an appointment for a job you're really, really hoping to get. And then again, you get a flat tire. And first you have this rush of emotions. Okay, why does this have to happen of all days now? But let's say you didn't do anything to, in terms of negligence up to that point. So the flat tire happened, maybe you drove over a nail. And so embrace the fact that, all right, it happened. I have to deal with it. And that's the third box. See what I'm saying? And that metaphor of the flat tire is literally every struggle that you'll go through in life. Uh, Tosif, you're raising your hand. The question was, um, you know, in this schema that you put, you put out here, um, you know, I've come across individuals who, uh, you know, affliction occurs to them where, you know, they've lost their eyesight, they've lost their hearing, et cetera, something's occurred, and they see it as a cut em. Mm -hmm. They use this term cut em, or they, this idea and this concept uh, you know, maybe someone responded like Qadr Allah Mashad. They said, no, it's not Qadr, it's Qadr. Okay, so translate that for everybody. So not that it's like this was destined or this was uh, measured out to me, but instead that this was a generosity. Mm -hmm. from Allah Can you That's speak towards this and, and this concept and where that fits in here? Is this just the ultimate? Uh, I was, that's very akin to Rida here. Rida, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and so the idea basically that, that you're, you're saying here is that, okay, someone has had a huge tragedy happen to them. And nine out of 10 people, 99 out of 100 people, they'd almost want to give up on life. Yet for this, whatever reason, this person actually finds some sort of relief and benefit and appreciation for the situation they're in now. And that is a very high spiritual state to have. And that's essentially what you're saying here, you know, that the powerlessness is the acceptance of other. And so what is other? Essentially God's decree, which is literally this, this. But if I can experience life appreciating anything, because what is part of the contentment with Allah? It's that you really truly understand that every moment of your life, Allah is giving you 100% focus. And that everything that is happening to you is designed for you with the purpose to bring you closer to Him. As a concept, easy concept. But to live it, it's difficult because you're going to be tested to the max. You know? Uh, but yeah, your point is exactly the, the, the drawing that I have on the screen here. Awesome. Um, this this uh, drawing on the screen, is it a process for every individual struggle? Or is the idea that when we get to a struggle, it'll match up with where we are on this scale? So the goal is to sort of figure out with different types of struggles to figure out where you are in 
your perception of God and where you are in terms of your own equanimity. And so by equanimity, I'm saying, how much does a struggle shake you and break you? You know, and it could be that the top squares do not line up with the bottom squares. It's possible too, right? Uh, but so this is a very simplified version of a self-assessment. You know, like, do I truly believe in my heart that Allah is free to do anything? And the illustration of that would be that if something good happens to someone else, I feel happy. If something good happens to my enemy, I feel happy. And by enemy, I mean like just a Muslim that I have a conflict with that I shouldn't have a conflict with, right? Uh, do I feel good that Allah is taking care of them? Yeah. Or is it, okay, I work so hard, how come they get everything? They get all the attention, right? Uh, let's see, uh, a couple of questions here. Uh, Angie is asking, so what about still the difference between Tawakul and the other? Uh, what is the other here? Uh, Stephanie is saying, how do you know you've gotten to the state where you appreciate whatever happens to you? Uh, well, the easiest test is, do you appreciate what happens to everyone else as well? And meaning, you know it because you're a happy baby in, in, in these times. It doesn't mean that you're not feeling pain. Because if the prophet, peace be upon him, is the perfection of faith, he still, miss, he still misses Khadija long after she's died, right? It's hurting his heart. And he is still, uh, uh, you know, there, there's the example I gave yesterday of crying over the death of Ibrahim. Even before that, uh, his daughter is trying to get his, she sends someone to get his attention and he's hanging out with some sahabas. And his daughter has a son who is near death. And the prophet sends the message, hey, Allah owns all. He gives as he wills and he, and he takes as he wills. And then the daughter sends a messenger again saying, okay, get him over here. And so the prophet comes and now he's holding his grandchild who's having trouble breathing. And now the prophet is having tears coming out of his eyes. Right? And so what you will also see is a shift of your emotions um, away from the destructive emotions. Uh, into the truly relief emotions as well. So, uh, let's see, Angie is saying uh, the, the, what Mahmoud asked about. So we're speaking about essentially reliance on Allah uh, versus Allah making uh, Allah being my uh, the one who who leads my way. And so, so when you reach the point of accepting that Allah is not going to give you anything you can't handle. You have reached a point of tawakkul, of 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 comfort and trust in God. When you are reaching the point of rahma, especially, now you're basically saying to God, "Do with me as you will." And so this is where we get into Rabia al Basri, who's basically saying, "Ya Allah, if I'm serving you to go to heaven, toss me to hell. If I'm serving you to..." Avoid hell, toss me to hell, but if I'm serving you out of love for you, do whatever you will. But I'm sorry, I guess to yeah. add to the question yeah. is where do you fit in, let's call that a spectrum, like the full faith? What how did you say? What did you say? You said that God is um like the full reliance on on Allah, right? Yeah. 
all the way to do with me what you will. Mm-hmm. Where in that, you know, space comes in like how much we, how much power we have. So, so we're not fully, you know, um, just saying, well, everything is just it's up to, it's up to what God, you know. Yeah, sure. But we're still saying, I mean, this, this bottom right square is still saying I have responsibility. I have power. Right. The difference is that what happens is that my emotions, uh, if I don't place my emotions, you know, if I don't recognize them and place them, I can't tell the difference between where I have power, where I don't. Or maybe, or, or, or even knowing you have power still, but knowing also accepting that God, has, then it helps you to control your emotions, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm right. saying, uh, um, the process of trying to control your emotions often has to come earlier as a way to be able to take Except. ownership. Okay. Make sense so far? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sadia. Hi. Um, you mentioned uh, something about um, the last slide, the second, the second box. Oh, the second box, yeah. No, the last one. Yeah. He will not hit me with anything I cannot handle. And you described it as not something like physical. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because what you said was a little bit unfamiliar to me. Okay, so. so, I'm to understand that a little bit better. So is it possible for me to get cancer to the, uh, that's going to be terminal and it's going to kill me? That would, be, uh, that would be a sickness that I cannot handle. But my response to the sickness, I can't control. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's, that's what, um, okay. I got actually confused a little bit about that. Thank yeah, you. So, sometimes it's my language, yeah. No, okay. no, okay. Thank you. Uh, if you don't get past the first box that God is free, does not eventually put you in some form of rejection? It can. And the point I'm making is that, <clears throat> that we don't live in vacuums, that our Islam affects the Islam of the other Muslims around us. Our Islam will especially affect our children in terms of the authenticity that we have in our Islam or the lack of authenticity we have. And, and so uh, your kids will 100, you know, uh, how old are your tiny baby now, mashallah? Like uh, two months old? Four months. Four months. Four months, mashallah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you will see this in the same way Jannah, who's here in the, in the class, uh, sees me right there. Sees uh, right through me, no matter what I say or do. Yeah. Uh, your daughter, inshallah, will see right through you. So I can say 100 things. And my daughters will recognize when I'm actually being honest and not. They may or may not call me out on it. Yeah. I mean, Jenna will actually label too. But the point is, yeah, anyway, you can yourself, Jenna. But the point is that um, uh, you can go through your whole life and not accept that first square and make it all the way to death, inshallah, and still possibly go to paradise, inshallah, because you're still obeying Allah. But all the places in your heart where you're refusing to accept something, your kids are going to pick it up. 
And that's the fun, scary thing about parenting. Scary because a lot of times we don't realize how many different ways we're being unauthentic. You know? But uh, fun, it means that you just have to get more and more authentic. Uh, let's see, Ahans. Um, so can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like hit you with something that could break your relationship with him? Absolutely, right? But will he? No. This, it was, we, will, we would see the Al-Baqarah class, so I'll just give you like where it is, I 26 and 27. Uh, it says, Allah does not misguide anyone, anyone, except for three types of people. And you can look up who those three types of people are, but the common element of them are people of misconduct. Misconduct with Allah, misconduct with, with, um, with uh, family, misconduct with people in general. So his default relationship is guidance. So absolutely, can Allah put the one tiny thing that would totally make my iman completely evaporate? Yeah, I mean, that is as easy for Allah as it is to create the entire universe. Yeah. But part of the promises he made is that he will not do that unless I'm going down the path of misguidance. Any other questions so far about this? Because I actually want to add one more point, even though we're way over time, to finish up our so far discussion. Okay. No other questions. The last big well, one. I have, I have one. Asib. Uh, so in a very sort of tangible, real example from at least my life, uh, there's a lot of, you know, anger right now in Chicago about the killing of this uh, little boy. boy. Yeah. And uh, for me, a lot of that is manifesting in my sort of uh, in, in, in my faith and my, my sort of emotions towards Allah. And like, so like, wh what do we do to navigate that kind of thing? Uh -huh. That's, and that's not even my struggle, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you, so this last part is going to be part of your answer. Okay. And so when we speak of the day of judgment, just as a concept, so forget the fact for a moment that it's real. What is the benefit of a belief in the day of judgment? First, not talking about what happens in it. So whether you're speaking of a Christian version, a Muslim version, a Buddhist version of an afterlife, the fact of an afterlife, what is the benefit of having a belief in that? Let them see if you look like you're about to say something. I'm going to say that that's when there will be perfect justice. Okay. That's, that's one benefit. Mm -hmm. Or even simpler than that, uh, what, is the, what is the belief in an afterlife give you? The sense that there's something bigger than what I'm just perceiving going on here. Right? And then, and so, if we're saying that what happens in this world has some consequence in the next life, then we're also saying that what happens in this world does not exist without consequence. Now, what is the benefit specifically of the Muslim version of the Day of Judgment? Again, whether it's real or not, just having that belief is that justice will be served, you know, this point that you made. Yeah. That this world dunya 
is by definition unfair. You will never have complete justice in this world. The day of judgment will be thorough justice. There will be no stone unturned in terms of injustice. Every single bit of justice is going to be completely served. Now, we're not talking about the fact of the day of judgment. We're talking about the belief in it. What does that give me? It should give me some amount of relief. That all the cries of all these mothers, they're not going unheard. And I'm talking about mothers whose kids have been killed. That all the pain that all these little kids have gone through, whether it's you know, murder, whether it's genocide, whether it's sexual assault, whatever the case may be, none of it is going unheard, unwitnessed. All of it will be paid back. And so, so even in terms of contending with a law, part of the process is to also grow in terms of our belief in the day of judgment. If you don't have a belief in the day of judgment, I do believe in today's world, you're going to lose your mind. I don't think you're going to be able to keep your sanity. You know, that and, and not even talking about our version of the day of judgment, that if you don't have some sort of belief system that reaches into the unknown, uh, I don't think it's possible to, to keep your sanity in this world. And I suspect if we had this class uh, 20 years from now, I think it'd be even harder to keep your sanity because we're going to be even more made aware of all the darknesses of the world and we're going to be more bombarded in every single direction. And so one point to think about is to have a belief in the day of judgment for your own relief. But then I'm also saying that this is more true than the fact that you and I are sitting here. So the little 13-year-old boy, just like the girls that were buried at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, that it says directly in the Quran, one of the first criticisms of the practices of the Quraysh is, is that you know the little girl is going to be raised up on the day of judgment. She's going to ask, why was I, why was I killed? So that's one of the earliest revelations that the prophet peace be upon him received. And I think uh, we can make a parallel with all these little boys that are getting killed. You know, what to think about all the genocides that are happening right now in the world. You know? so, so what do you think about that, Asif? So on the one hand, we're just talking about having the belief in it. Okay. And then the fact that it is true. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the hard part for me on that is that my notion of justice and a sort of cosmic Allah-driven notion of justice are not necessarily the same. Yeah, so which one's going to win? Well, obviously we know which one's going to win, but uh, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know. And, yeah. and so, so this brings us back to the very first square, right? And, and so when we're looking at this top line, this also applies to everything that happens to everyone else as well. And so another way to think about, about religion it's literally to help you cope with life. And I would suggest, obviously I have a little bit of bias in this, the Islamic framing of how life operates, how reality operates, 
probably allows for the most amount of relief, but it actually gives also the most amount of responsibility too. You know, stick with it. I mean, keep keep wrestling with it. You know, uh, but the point is that if I'm demanding okay, relief should happen now, then I'm probably going to destroy myself. And this is what exactly what we see with a lot of activists after about 20 years in the world of activism. You know, I mean, look at all my friends who now are in their 50s and 60s who started in terms of their Palestinian activism back in their 20s. You know, and now they look like these withered, withered people. Was the cause correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and so so whatever the cause we may choose, there is a lot of darkness in this world. And I think that was one of the very first points I made yesterday in talking about suffering, that uh, the amount of darkness, uh, I don't think anyone, uh, any human can handle. Okay, so uh, we're actually way, way over time, so I apologize for that. And so the last part, speaking about the day of judgment or wherever it went, is that we're also basically saying this world is not fair. There's, there is a type of karma in this world, but not what goes around comes around. There will be people who will commit injustice in this world who will completely escape any sort of prosecution, and there'll be people who will be the victims of injustice who will not get anything in this world, including attention. I mean, even this little boy, you know, we know his name, we've seen the video, and think about the other 100,000 boys that didn't get that. You know, all the 100,000 girls who's, who've come and gone nameless in this world. Right. And so part of the challenge is to embrace, you know, this is how the world operates, but the world operates within a greater reality. But we'll continue, inshallah, tomorrow. So uh, we will stop right here. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka. So we bear witness there is no God but you, and we seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. May Allah tell you all, inshallah. Really, really good, rich discussion, inshallah. And we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi And I'm sorry I didn't get to all the comments. I know, I think Abdullah, you made a bunch of really good comments that I'm sorry I didn't get to. And, and please feel free uh, if the questions persist to keep bringing them up and I will get to them inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi